Box. That song is actually Dancing in the Sky by Danny and Lizzie. It's um, music reason tonight because this is going to be our tribute to Stan Lee. And I thought that was an appropriate song for those of you missing a loved one, whether it be Stan or anyone else who's passed recently. Um, such as William Goldman, author of Princess Bride, has also passed right, away. Yeah. yeah, I saw that earlier today. So if you would like to hear the rest of that song and see the lyrics, I did post a video on YouTube on, for, from YouTube on the Lost in the Long Box Facebook. Um, so again, that's Dancing in the Sky by Danny and Lizzie, and I thought it was appropriate for tonight's show. So before we actually get into our tribute to Stan Lee and discussing his life and his work, um, let's go ahead and... I've been gone for the last two weeks, so in case you didn't know, this is Randall. I did pick up a bit of a cold, and I got my two co-hosts, Mad Men and Thomas, here, guys. How Hello. you doing? Good evening. Welcome back, Randall. Welcome Thank you. Back. So <clears throat> let's go ahead and cover a couple of the noteworthy news items that came out uh, over the week, because Thomas was actually doing a really good job of covering the, the noteworthy stuff we wanted to pay attention to. Uh, if you have Amazon Prime, you get to see Aquaman a week early. They announced today that they have worked out a special deal, deal bleh, with Warner Brothers, and you get to see Aquaman a week early. You have to do it through your Amazon Prime account. So looks like there's something good coming out of that other than just the whole free shipping, which I don't even think is free anymore, right? I'm not sure. We, we have Amazon Prime. We use it quite a bit. There's a lot of free movies and TV shows that you can watch on it and everything. So it's, it's, a, it's a pretty good deal. Um, I don't know if I'd be going to see, see it a week early. I'm probably going to go with everybody else because I think I might be one of the few that actually has the Prime service. So, Well, yeah, lost in a long box, you know, we're going to have to see it anyway because... Right. That's, we'll that's go, what we do. I'm sure we'll go the regular opening night. It, it, yeah, it's a tough job. Somebody's got to go watch it. Someone's I, go I know. It. It's a dirty job, but we'll do it for you guys. <laughs> um, the CW, who has got so, those great Arrowverse characters and shows such as Supergirl, Flash, Legends Tomorrow, and Arrow, announced recently, and I'm glad you, I'm sitting down for this because I probably would have dropped over, they have cast John Cryer as Lex Luthor for Supergirl. I saw that. I kind of have some mixed feelings about I have about a that. lot of mixed feelings about this. I, I like him as an actor, and I don't think he necessarily has a bad look for it, but I don't know. It's just, I just had this vision of Lex Luthor going, well, right. <laughs> you know, like Ducky. Yeah, it's, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, we'll wait and see. But. That's a, yeah, that's a tough call because, I mean, I guess he's just trying to break out of this kind of... Right. But remember, too, now he played Lenny Luthor in Superman Four: Quest for Peace anyway. Which was a terrible movie. Was, yes, absolutely. So, Horrible. Yeah. So that's really not anything to brag but about. Again, but again, <laughs> let's, 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 let's be honest. What do most people remember John Cryer for? Ducky. Ducky, yeah. Um, Lenny Luthor and Two and a Half two Men. Two and a Half Men. I can't, I can't name anything else he's been in. So I'd have to look up his IMDb. So, so hopefully that's not going to be too bad. I guess it's another wait and see. I mean, I think he can. I think he can pull it off. He's a good actor. I think he's got. I think he's got a good look with the bald head and everything. Like he could. That. Yeah. He'll have the look. I'm just more worried about the acting chops. Yeah, that, so. I mean, you know, with anything, but I think he could possibly pull it off. And people were uh, skeptical of Michael Keaton as Batman. Right, and that's. And I was just about to say, the mark of a good actor is someone who can take a role where everybody says, "Oh God," and then you come out of the movie going, "Wow, he was actually yeah. good in that." Which Michael Keaton as Batman was a classic. Remember yeah. when that was announced? Everybody was like. You're putting a comedian yeah, in as Batman? Oh, Mr. this is going to yeah. suck. Mr. Mom is Batman. And you know, the thing about it is, is now most anything that Michael Keaton's in, I'd be willing to see. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Right. Because Birdman was because excellent. You, Birdman you, you was have fantastic. to sit through the end of Birdman because it does get rather dry there in the middle. Okay. We went We went to go see Birdman, and I was sitting there watching it with my wife and another friend of ours. No and it was, it was, I'm not, oh, no, don't worry. I'm not going to tell them anything about it. And we're sitting there watching it, and it was her insistence that we go, and about... 
15, 20 minutes in, I was sitting here watching. I was like, what the hell has she made me watch? <laughs> and by the end of the movie, I was like, that was great. Yeah, you, you have to be so, patient and sit through it. Yeah, and, but in the beginning, I was like, oh, my God, I'm never letting her pick a movie again. All right. But All by right. the end, I loved it. So we'll wait and see on that one. Uh, Metropolis, Illinois. Are you guys familiar with Metropolis, Illinois? Yes. It's an actual town in Illinois named Metropolis, and they proudly own it. They have a Superman celebration there every year. Really? It's like three days of pretty much a, a miniature Superman um, convention. Madman, you're going to love this. In the town square, they have a huge statue of Superman. I want to say it's probably three stories tall. In honor of Stan Lee, the Superman statue is now wearing a black armband. I thought that was classic. So that, that was a nice move. I like yeah. that they did that. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually waiting for the official um, remembrance from DC Comics. I haven't seen it yet. I'm, I'm assuming something's coming. It's probably going to be in print form in one of the books. So Yeah, I saw they did something on their, their Twitter account with, with – um, some of their characters paying tribute to Stanley. That was really nice as well. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, you know, he he didn't do much for him. He did do a few things, like you were talking about the Just Imagine books um, a few weeks ago well, that I he mean, did. So the thing is, is that they respected him, right? Oh, no I doubt. Mean, we're we're going to get into it. Oh, I mean, yeah. We're going to. There's going to be a whole conversation yeah. of, of Stanley and, and so and what that, he's done what for I, us in the comic industry. That's what I love about the two greats is that they can both look at Stanley and say thank you. Right. Yes. Uh, other news. Damn you, phone. I thought I muted you. Sorry, guys. Uh, <laughs> Bat Kid is cancer-free. Do you all remember Bat Kid? I have seen something about that. He wanted Bat, to... Bat Kid was a, a boy by the name of Miles Scott, mm -hmm. and with the Make-A-Wish Foundation, he got to be a superhero, and he teamed up with Batman and saved San Francisco. It was one of the huge Make-A-Wish Foundation stories that uh, got a lot of people behind it, um, went viral, everybody was supporting the kid, and news is today that he is now cancer-free. So congratulations, Miles. Glad that you beat that. Yes, definitely. Congratulations. Um, Roy Thomas's birthday is going to be this Thanksgiving. He'll be 78. Roy Thomas is actually the guy who took over the editorship for Stan Lee at Marvel when he retired and pretty much <coughs> was the, uh, the guy who was entrusted with all of Stan's creations. He's also writing a book, which we'll get into later, but it's something I think called The Life of Stan Lee or The Stan Lee Story. And he actually interviewed Stan Lee just a couple of days before his death. And, and he even said that he believed Stan was ready to go. Yeah. So going to be looking forward to that book. But yeah, happy birthday in advance there, Roy. Also, on the DC Universe, a couple of stories. Uh, Swamp Thing has begun production. I can't wait for that. I'm hoping Excellent. that's going to be really good. And Mad Men. Oh, Mad Men. You are going to love this one. Tell me, tell me, tell me. Based on last week's podcast that I listened to, you now get a second chance to call in and kill Robin. Is it Damian <laughs> Wayne? No. Oh. It's... So apparently for the Titan show, they do have Dick Grayson and Jason Todd meeting with one another, and they're at odds, and there is now going to be a call-in number for DC Universe, just like there was back in the day, where you can call in and vote as to whether or not Robin lives or dies. So I think they're about to go down the same road there with the whole killing Robin. I'm not going to fall for that scam. Last so, time they did that, they brought him back to life. There's, yeah. there's 900 numbers for it. I don't know what it costs, which, by the way, when I was reading this article, the original cost to kill Robin before was 50 cents per phone call. So, Well, I mean, that's not a, an astronomical amount but, by any stretch of the imagination. But that's real money but for still, a fictional character. Right, right. and you know, <laughs> that they eventually bought back to life. Yeah, right, exactly. You can't but trust I'm, just, I'm just saying, it's, it's out there. If you want to make your vote to see him get the axe, you now get a second shot at it. Because I know, along with you two, I also couldn't afford to make that call because I'm sure my mom would have, like, tanned my rear end. Like, How many times did you call this number? Right. <laughs> it might be worth doing it. Just say, ha-ha, Mom and Dad, I can call the number now. Right. Yeah, and, just because I'm an adult. I'm an adult, and I can do it because right. I'm a Until grown man. Until you get man. the phone bill and realize, oh, crap, I got to pay that. <laughs> yeah, no, I got to pay it. Yeah. Maybe they'll have, like, a texting option so you can just text it in nowadays. And it's not going to be, like, Yeah, it'll probably be, like, five bucks. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's so... Actually, it's probably, it's probably yeah, maybe dollar ninety two dollars something like dollar ninety nine to I would say dollar ninety nine to like two fifty. Right. So. Yeah. All right. So that's the news that I had. Did you guys come across anything over the last week that you just went, huh? I don't want to talk about that. I not I can think of no. Uh, well, you left me some some books. Oh, that's right. I left it, you lock and key. Yeah. Um, trade paperbacks and one I, and two. I, I, 
as soon as I picked it up and started reading, I was like, oh, well, I forget everything else I'm doing until I finish this. The, art, the art's a little... Yeah, yeah, it's not great, but I mean, the, the strength of it is the story. Oh, well, once the kid finds that creature in the whale, you're like, okay, all bets are off. I got to keep reading now. <laughs> I was reading that, I was reading this comic book, and I felt like the guy who never shuts up during the movie. He's always talking to the characters in the movie. Right. Because I was like, no, no, don't play with that. What's wrong with you? No. No, don't no. touch. No, don't do that. No. Don't I'm, go in that yeah, door. Exactly. What are you doing? Don't it's play like, with that. Why would you do that? Don't play with this kind of right. stuff. Yeah, you know? <laughs> I mean, you might as well just give a kid a Ouija board and say, here, have at it. Call up the demons. I would feel <laughs> better about it. <laughs> right. Because at least that you could have thrown it out. But Yeah, I think that lock and key is pretty good. I can't wait. Hopefully, get get some more of those. Yeah. I, gotta, I, 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 I want to keep reading. Yeah. So I'll get volume three. And then after I get volume three, I'll let you borrow it. I am so glad we decided to do this podcast because I'm reading so many comic books that I haven't had access to in so long. So thank you guys. I'm glad we're doing this. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So damn you, phone. Uh, listeners, I apologize ahead of time if you're hearing that little beep beep noise. It's my phone. And you, I, I muted this thing and it's, it's not actually muting. So it's about to get turned the hell off. All right. So <clears throat> now we're going to get into our. Stanley tribute. Um, we're going to talk about his life and his work and his impact on not only the comic industry but even us in the room, us in the room. Um, and I'm going to um, give you full disclosure. I cannot guarantee there won't be blubbing and crying in the room tonight. You let it off on, with that song, on my dude. part. <laughs> <laughs> there, Stanley cry. was a pretty important guy. You know, he's. Yeah, it, it, to all of our lives, anybody that you know reads comic books. There's very few celebrity deaths that actually make me just feel like the wind's been taken on myself. Gene Roddenberry was one. You know what hit me too, really hard? Leonard Nimoy. Yes, Leonard Nimoy. Yeah. Leonard Nimoy. That was that was that, one that hit that me one... hard. It was kind of unexpected. I wasn't expecting <coughs> it to be as as upset by his oh, death. Oh damn! As what I cared I about Leonard Nimoy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I I mean you know I I, I love Star Trek. What's, I love Spock. Well, I, mean, I was just really last wasn't movies, expecting that. Yeah. Those last couple movies though with Leonard Nimoy, you're like, oh wow, he's still alive. What's yeah. this? You know, but then he dies, and you're like, oh, I guess I did care about. What, him. What's right. this stuff seeping out of my eyes? Yeah. I think I'm defective. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that was great. I love that line. That was from Star Trek Generations. Oh yes. Yeah, data. So anyway, <laughs> as I said, I cannot guarantee there won't be some crying and blubbering in the room, probably by yours truly. <clears throat> so Stan Lee, he was actually born as Stan Lee Martin Lieber on December 28, 1922, in good old island of Manhattan, New York. New York boy. So yes, that, that, that explains right there his attitude through life because he had that whole New Yorker thing going on. Mm -hmm. um, he actually got his job at Timely as an assistant. Um, because it turned out that Joan, who was the wife of Martin Goodman, who owned Timely, was Stanley's cousin. Uh, yeah. So Stanley Lieber, got to keep going back to that. Um, he started off as assistant, basically doing things like filling the inkwells, erasing, you'll love this one, erasing the pencil lines from the finished artwork. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. Can you imagine that? Wow. He's getting handed the finished inked and illustrated artwork, and he's erasing the pencil lines of the artist. There you go. That'd be a great job. So, it work on the elbow a bit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, back then, there's really no other way to do it than yeah, the old-fashioned no way. way, right? So, and his first piece was actually a text story, which was in uh, Captain America Comics number three, and it was Captain America foils the traitor's revenge. So, a lot of people wrongly believe that he created Captain America. He did not. That was actually um, Jack Kirby and, oh, my God, boom. I knew this. Ditko? No, no not, not Ditko. Um, Joe Simon. Joe Simon. Joe Thank Simon. you. Yes, yeah. I was right the, there, and it was yeah. suddenly gone. But, yes, so that tells you already that Kirby was a little bit older than Stan Lee because he got that job, I think, maybe at 16 or 17. And his yeah, he first, was young. I, yeah. think he was, I think 17. Yep. So that was his first thing. And then it started happening, like, Two issues later, he actually does a story called Headline Hunter Foreign Correspondent, which I believe is probably in Captain America 5. Mm -hmm. And then his first superhero work, he co-created The Destroyer in Mr. Comics number 6 back in 1941. Then he made Jack Frost in USA Comics number 1 in August of 41. And Father Time, debate, who debuted in Captain America Comics number 6. Also in August of 1941. So he goes in as a teenager and he jumps on pretty quickly and starts 
getting knee deep into it. Well, he just starts creating characters. Yep. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt. And he went by. He actually used the name Stan Lee instead of Lieber. We're actually getting there, brother. Okay. Um, in fact, that's uh, when he wrote those stories. He actually changed his name to Stan Lee, ironically because, and Mad Men pointed this out, I think, either last week or the week before on one of the podcasts, he didn't want to be embarrassed by writing comic books under Stanley Lieber because he eventually wanted to write the great American novel. And he thought that since comic books were such a low form and they weren't being taken seriously, he needed to change his name so he wouldn't be identified with it. I thought maybe it was because he was you know, sympathetic to letterers. You know? Right, who didn't want to have to do that. <laughs> But no, he actually did it because he wanted to write the great American novel and didn't want to be associated with the kitty format. Type it looks of thing. like he accidentally did. Yep. Yeah. And, that, and, you know, I wouldn't say that pretty much all of us agree that comic books aren't kitty anymore. Right. Yeah. So it's a, definitely a recognized Yeah, Bill Maher. Yeah. Yeah, Bill Maher. Yeah, yeah, Bill. We can rant about that later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But the thing that really starts setting him off or setting him up is Simon and... Kirby? Kirby had a falling out with Martin Goodman uh, about Captain America, and they end up leaving timely, yep. which means that Goodman turns around and puts Stan as the editor on the book, and he's only 19 at the time. Wow. Here's the keys to the castle, young man. Yep. And it turns out that he had a knack for the business, and so the next thing you knew, he was editor-in-chief, and he was that editor-in-chief until like around 1972, and wow. then he became the publisher of Marvel Comics. So he he's very early on he he shows a knack for the industry even though and this is funny his I don't want to say contempt but his uh, disdain his lack of enthusiasm for it won't come until much later because when that when it ends up happening is you had those guys with the little funny box and the little swastikas and what have you they go to war and so he joins the army in 1942. And he becomes part of the Signal Corps, and then later on he becomes part of the training film division. That's right, brother. So, Signal Corps. It's right. So he comes back in the 1950s, and this is where it gets kind of interesting. He comes back in the 1950s, and by then, Tommy has changed to Atlas Comics. So he goes back to war, goes back to work for them. What a unique idea that was. When you went into the Army and went to war, you came back. You got your job at your old company. They don't do that nowadays. No, no. they don't. So... You know, he was in a training film division. I mean, right. he, he, he didn't really go to war. But when he comes back <laughs> to Atlas Comics, he starts writing things like romances and, and westerns and humor and science fiction books and, and anything in, like medieval adventure, horror and suspense. Because now remember, the superhero book starts to take a serious nosedive after World War II. Oh, yeah. Because mm -hmm. Romance and horror starts taking off. And because during World War II... They had a natural enemy built in in the Axis, so oh, yeah. everybody oh, yeah, no was doubt. fighting, uh, you know, the Axis. And sorry, guys, the Jap bastards. That's for the listeners out there that might be offended, but that's you know, what they were called. Right. So he also ends up creating a strip called My Friend Irma with Dan DiCarlo. Apparently, it was based on a radio comedy. I've never even heard of this, but <laughs> that's it. That's this is a period when he gets really dissatisfied with the comic industry. And decides maybe this is not for me. You know, this is what I was doing when I went to the, the world to work. But I want to write that novel. Maybe it's time for me to go ahead and leave. So this is when it happens. But then something happened. What? DC Comics revitalizes the superhero. The birth. Julius Schwartz does it with The Flash. And the birth of the four. Silver Age. Exactly. Birth of the Silver Age. And then he turns around and they do something with putting all these superheroes together and creating this new team of superheroes called the Justice League of America. Love it. And it starts selling really well. Mm -hmm. So Martin Goodman, owner of Atlas Comics, says, we need to do this. DC's got something here. So he actually went to his writers and he actually pulled Lee aside and said, listen. I need a team. I need a team of superheroes like DC's doing. Stan Lee did not want to do it. He absolutely hated superhero comics. And that shows up in the Fantastic Four. He, he felt that, <laughs> and he was quite correct in this attitude, is that they were one-dimensional. You never saw any problems with the superheroes. They were all happy-go-lucky guys. You know, they didn't have any issues. You know, they, they got up, they worked their 9-to-5 job, and oops, there's a 
bank robbery, I need to change into Superman, yeah. or I need to change into Mega Dude and go stop this Mega and Dude. go back. And well, I'm trying to keep it generic, but let's let's face it. Yeah, one, of, one of the characters uh, Shazam, he really hated yeah. was Superman and Shazam and all powerful. All, Six all months the, from now, from Lost in the Long Box, the new adventures of Mega Dude, number one, hitting your favorite comic store. I can see it now. You gonna write it? Oh yeah, let's do this. <laughs> I can't draw. I don't know if I have an artist, but let's do this. Mega Dude, number one. Well, that's a, here's the problem. We can all write. I know that. It's the, it's the illustration is going to be poor. So anyway, Lee's given this assignment. I need you to create me a superhero team. And I think he's given a week. I think Goodman says, I need to see you know the pages by the end of the week. So he goes home to his wife, Joan, and he's grousing about his new assignment. I don't want to do this. Superhero comics are, are crap. They, they don't... They don't have real problems like people do. Then you know everything's all happy. So Joan tells him, and you know the old saying behind it: every great man there's a woman. Joan says, "Well, write the book you want to write. Do it the way you want to. What are they going to do? Fire you? You want to quit yeah, anyway? You, yeah, you don't want to do it anyway. Right. Yeah. So do he what you act, do. he actually takes Jonah's advice and he writes Fantastic Four number one. Which another thing uh, I don't think he knew about Bad Men. I didn't know this until today. That was loosely based." On Challengers of the Unknown from DC, that was part of his inspiration because that was a book he actually felt was a good concept. It just needed to be expanded on. Yeah, I had heard that before. I had heard that before. Well, Stan was smart. Yep. He he knew a good book when he saw it. So since that book did so well, Lee and Kirby immediately started creating a whole bunch of other superheroes because... Martin Goodman suddenly said, I need more heroes like this. You guys have struck on something. Yeah. So then, of course, we started getting Hulk, Thor, and Iron Man. And then he did X-Men. And he did, with Bill Everett, he did Daredevil. And then Steve Ditko, he did Doctor Strange. And the character who would eventually become even a better seller than Fantastic Four herself, Spider-Man. Yay. So that's, and of course, Avengers, which was the other superhero book that he put out. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, Marvel seems to really get known for their superhero teams. Let's think about this. Fantastic Four, Defenders, X-Men, Avengers, Champions, Inhumans. Guardians I mean, of the Galaxy. Guardians of the Galaxy. So <laughs> yeah. that's kind of their their thing. So I guess it was, since Stanley did Fantastic Four, so let's make sure our strength is always in our teams. And well, I think that that's the point of Stan Lee, is that um, the, the Silver Age began. Right, and Marvel turned to or timely. Well, they're, were they Marvel at the time? They went from Atlas to Marvel. They go, oh, Atlas, they go to, right. they go. But we're, <laughs> now remember, yeah. they go from Atlas to Marvel Comics. But where do we first see the famous MC on the cover? Patsy <laughs> Walker, Walker ninety five, <laughs> written by Stan Lee. Stan Lee, exactly. Poor oh, guy. I'm glad you mentioned that because I forgot to say, two of the books that he created at Marvel that sold really well until the superhero genre came back was Millie the Model and Patsy Walker. For a moment there, I thought you were going to tell me you found that Patsy Walker 95 and I was going to have to strangle you. You do realize that if I find Patsy Walker 95, I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to show it in your face. Yeah, I'm sure you would. Look what I have, Because that's what I would do to you, so. Right. (laughs) For those of you who don't know, Thomas and I are actually really good friends. It's just when one of us finds a hot book, we we take delight in tormenting the other one with it. If they're listening to this show, they probably have somebody in their life like that. Okay. Right. Well, we're men. That's what men do. <laughs> <laughs> um, so now you derail me. Oh, so let's talk about something that he did that has now become standard that he was doing at Marvel. He actually brought in the idea of, I want credit panels on the splash pages. I don't want just a writer and the artist. I want the inker and the letterer on there. Yeah. Um, and you know why he did that? Because he had a thing for letterers. He was he did. sorry for him. <laughs> he actually wanted the reader to feel like it was a family, that mm-hmm. these weren't just guys writing books. These are like buddies that live down the street from you. Yeah. So one of the things that he did is at the time, whenever a letter came in, it was always addressed to Dear Editor. He was actually going back and having him change it to Dear Stan or Dear Jack. Yeah. So that he was creating in the sense with the readers that, you know, hey, we're your buddies, we're a your pers- friends. Yeah. Let's get personal with yeah. this. He also started the bullpen bulletins where yeah. he talked about what was going on at Marvel. Because, mm-hmm. again, he wanted to make sure that the readers had the feeling of, we're not just selling you books. We're family. We're telling you these stories, and we want to share them with you type of thing. And I want to interact with you. Yeah, Exactly. And I'm sitting here, and I'm interacting and talking like Stan Lee. <laughs> the other thing that he did, um, and some kind of 
like this method, some don't. Uh, because he was doing so many titles at the time, he, I won't say he created, but he utilized something that has been done before, but it became associated with him and Marvel, which is the Marvel method of writing, which is he would sit down with the artist and say, so here's going to be the story. Hulk is going to roll into the thing, and they're going to have this fight, and then during the fight, this is going to happen. There was no actual script. He just told the artist, so that's what I want you to draw. I draw that, and he went back in later and just wrote dialogue in the word balloons. That's, that's awesome. That's, that's, a really, that's actually really hard to do. Yeah, I would imagine. Because you've got to yeah, have some type of idea like... where the story is going. Right. And that's, yeah, that sounds tough. So that is, that is editing. Right, but that's that was basically editing. Exactly, and he probably developed that net when he first took over as editor of Captain Marvel, of Captain yeah, America, Captain way America, back yeah. in the day, when Simon and Kirby left. I got him. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> with Eddie, no prompting from anyone else. Good Stan job. Stan just comes in and he says to them, "He's like, hey, just draw a bunch of pitches, right? And I'll find a way to and make a story out of it." And that's pretty much what it was. Yeah. I think he actually said on some of them, he told Jack or. Steve Ditko, draw this and draw that. Well, what's the story? Ah, figure it out when you turn yeah. the pages in. <laughs> Let's take a look That's at the art. That's pretty then impressive we'll when you think about it. Absolutely. Exactly. I don't know anyone that could do it. I know I can't freaking do it. If I've tried writing my own comic book, um, which I'm probably going to get back to someday, and I do it as a script, panel by panel by panel, where I describe what's going on in the panel and I give the dialogue. Really? Because, well, here's why, Madden. I actually see it in my head the way I want the story to go. Oh, wow. So I can, I I'll bring this. I'll bring to some of the com- I still have scripts for com- some of the comics I was doing. Oh, wow. And, and I'm not kidding. I actually do each panel. I describe the scene and what's happening. And then I have the dialogue. So I would literally do panel by panel. No and, artist is going to want to work with you, man. And there's writers that do that still. They, If you go back, um, one of them I can actually think of is Tom King for his Vision series. I had the deluxe hardcover, and he's got your scripts in them um, for all the issues. Oh, that, okay. And, and he does that where he's actually describing each panel, the That's scene. That's kind of cool. So I like this. But, Stan revolutionized the whole method of, of draw creating, this, yeah. and I'll add the story to it later. The Marvel method. Exactly. A couple other things that happened, too. Um, after Steve Gitko leaves Spider-Man in 1966 and leaves Marvel, John Romita Jr., or John Romita Sr., sorry, right, yeah. becomes the artist on Spider-Man, and then they really start doing some fantastic stuff there. And this is the period when Spider-Man shoots past Fantastic Four in sales. Right, John Romita Sr., that's my, my Spider-Man. Right. That's so, my Spider-Man. Some of the things that he did with Spider-Man and John Romita, and think about how revolutionary this is. Number one, he creates Robbie Robertson, the first African-American African character American, yeah. who is not just backdrop. He's actually a yeah. main character and, and actually is part of the main storyline. This is 1966-67 when he does this. You couldn't find writers or companies that were even daring to do that. Oh, yeah. Right. Okay, he challenges the CCA by writing stories of who remembers a classic Spider-Man drug addiction story. Oh, that's with, great! With Harry Osborn being addicted to drugs. I haven't read it, but I know exactly which ones you're talking about because mm-hmm. it was controversial, and they uh, mm-hmm. published it anyway. And and CCA said you can't publish this, and Stan was like, "We have to. This is a growing problem in America." And he goes, "Well, we're not going to put our silver approval on it." And he said, "Fine, we're going to publish it anyway." Yeah. So he was the first guy to come up and tell CCA, yeah. "You're wrong." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it was a, it was a good message that they sent. It was a good message, absolutely. He also pretty much creates the first two black superheroes, Black Panther and the Falcon. Excellent. Mm-hmm. So, and one of his greatest stories, and I think anyone who's read comics will freely admit this is probably one of the greatest stories ever. Whether it's DC, Marvel, Image, what have you, the three part Galactus trilogy from Fantastic Four, forty eight, oh, yeah. and forty nine, and, and fifty, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think today it still puts in the top 25 of 100's greatest stories of all time. It's a good one. So, I don't like the Fantastic Four, but I know that that's a good story. Yep. That's a good story. So, yeah, there was a, <clears throat> a lot of uh, influential work that he did when he was at Marvel. Um, and actually, 71 was when he started challenging the, the CCA with Spider-Man 96 through 98, the drug story. The drug story, yep. You know, I don't have those. I need to get those myself. Yeah, that's on my list of ones I want because, you know, they they dared to, to go against the CCA, if nothing else. I mean, pretty right. much everything was going through the CCA at that time. And I think today, if you buy a comic, there is no CCA stamp anymore. No, it's been gone. Yeah, I think it ended gone. in I think it ended in two thousand ten. I think we talked about it on an earlier episode. Yep. Um, but then nineteen seventy two came around, and that's when Lee stopped writing. Um, well, that's when he stopped writing the first time, shall we say? <laughs> the last two books. 
were uh, Spider-Man 110 and Fantastic Four 125. Um, and then he became editor and publisher and was pretty much uh, the face of Marvel. Even when he wasn't writing, he was basically the spokesperson for Marvel and comic books. He was out doing shows and doing the early conventions, even if he wasn't writing anymore. Um, one of the best characters he created that I personally love, and it took a while for his character to catch on, was She-Hulk. That was him. He, oh, yeah. He came back and wrote She-Hulk. Um, anyway, the Roy Thomas book I was just talking about is actually called The Stan Lee Story. Um, I don't know when it's coming out. I can't wait to get it, my hands on that one. No doubt. But yeah, Roy actually stated that I think he was ready to go, but he was still talking about doing more cameos. As long as he had the energy for it and didn't have uh -huh. to travel, Stan was always up to do some more cameos. <laughs> and by the way, I love it. Uh, listeners, Madman today also posted a YouTube video of Stan Lee non-MCU cameos. I love it. My favorite one is the one from Teen Titans Go. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> where he's on the windshield of the car, they're like, Stan Lee! And he goes, it may not be a Marvel movie, so I don't care if it's a DC movie, I just love cameos. And Robin's like, not now, Stan Lee! <laughs> we don't have time for this. <laughs> There's always time for Stan Lee. <laughs> so, I loved him. Can we talk about more cameos? Oh, yeah, go right ahead. I'll, I will post a link to this video uh, in Lost in the Long Box on Facebook. But uh, if you watch The Guild... Yes, um, that the cameo he did in that is just That's super super hilarious. Where he's like, he, he's like, did I create that character? Yeah, win some, you lose some. You know, right. it's just this because right. like he's like, I've made so many characters, I can't even remember if I made that one. <laughs> so I mean, I, I love that. And then uh, as he's leaving, he's sitting there, he puts his hand on his shoulder, he's like, you know, I made a lot of characters, kid. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like you could have picked a better one. Right. Well, you know, um, by the way, listeners, Madman mentioned the guild. If you haven't watched that, that is a fantastic yeah. online series by yeah. Felicia Day. Um, she worked briefly, I think, in uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I think she's been on that one. She's kind of a close friend with Josh Whedon. If you ever watched the um, Dr. Horrible sing-along blog, she's in that. She's I can't remember her name now. I can't. Penny? Penny. I want to say Penny, Penny but she's a love interest in that. Um, but she does this miniseries that was on the internet primarily through YouTube, and then it got big, and Microsoft got involved. Yeah. I th think there's five seasons of it, but it's called The Guild, and the whole premise is basically a group of players who play an online MMO, much like WoW, even though they don't ever yeah. call it WoW, but find out they're local, and through circumstances beyond her control, she says, we need to get this group together. But Stan Lee does a cameo in season four of that at a convention. So if you haven't watched those, go pick those up. They're really good. Oh, yeah. Um, now, I want to go back to something... Madman said something about cameos. I forgot it. Oh, well. Favorite ca cameos? Yeah. I love those cameos in The Simpsons. They yep. were so awesome in The Simpsons. Because mm -hmm. um, this is what I love about Stan. He wasn't afraid to make fun of himself, poke fun at himself. Right, exactly. And the way like Stanley just came to this comic book store and wouldn't leave. Right. <laughs> you know, and he's sitting there, he's putting like the uh, Marvel books in front of DC books inside the store. And I mean, it's like, that's hilarious. Yes. And, it, and then the final, the hilarious, most hilarious thing with Stanley. Oh, damn, I got more. Oh, no, <laughs> the second, second most hilarious Stanley cameo in The Simpsons was when he goes, it's like, a, it's like, why do you, why are you getting a Batman character? And he's like, because of the old, he fits in the Batmobile. I love that one. <laughs> he's like, no. In the Batmobile. Goes, yeah. And he's like, <laughs> And he, he, he hands it back his to action him. Figure into and the, the car. kid says, "You broke my Batmobile." And Stan says, "Broke it or made, made it better?" better. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that some Fox writers are sitting there talking to Stan, and they sit there pitch this idea, and then you just shove, you just shove the thing into the Batmobile, and it like breaks apart, and you hand it back to the kid, and the kid says, "You broke it." What do you say? And that they. Seriously, I broke it or made it better. Yeah. Which I think is a kind of an, an analogy about the Silver Age of comic books. Because the Silver Age began. And, it, I mean, it was going to go somewhere no matter what. Right. But then Stan comes out and then Marvel is putting out kick-ass Silver Age stories. And then it breathed new life and it sparked new competition in comic books. And I think that that's why maybe the Silver Age is truly the golden age of comics. Right. And, and, it, and I think... Um, they've actually started renaming this. Well, I want to say they started renaming the Silver Age the Marble Age, but I think they've started referring to the 70s now as the Marble Age. Yeah. Because that, the 60s and the 70s really were just perfect for Marvel. I yeah. mean, they were, they were the, killing the 60s, time, they were yeah. still kind of kiddie books. In the 70s, like, we need to start adulting up our stories, and 
they got really good. And that helped you until the 80s, and then they kind of just lost their way. <laughs> uh, but uh, in case you guys didn't know, Stan Lee also did some work for the competition, DC oh, yeah. Comics. He wrote a great series of books called Just Imagine Stan Lee yeah. Creating, in which he recreated Aquaman and Batman. And these are all single issues. Yeah. So Aquaman, Batman, Catwoman, Flash, Green Lantern. He did a bunch of these things. But, and I did not know this, in 2004, there was a DC Comics Presents Superman number one written by Stan Lee, and I think it's illustrated by Jim Lee. Oh. So I did not know that he had done that. And then he does a text piece in Detective Comics number 600, which is talk where he basically talks about Batman. And it's just like a, a tribute thing because it's monumental 600 issues. So while these creators are jumping on and saying their words about Batman. But he was also uh, inducted into the Will Eisner Hall of Fame in 1994 and the Jack Kirby Hall of Fame in 1995. And he also got the NEA's National Medal of Arts in 2008. So well celebrated. Again, what he did for comic readers in the comic industry is just to this day, you, there's not enough you can say about it. No, there's not. I mean, you know, you could go on forever. I mean, I one of the big reasons I read comics or anything at all is because it, it all comes back to Stan Lee and characters he created. You know, he made me love to read. Right. I he mean, made me want to learn to read. Right. I mean, it, it's, you know, Spider-Man, X-Men, Iron Man, Thor, you know, it's... When I first started picking up comic books, it was before I could read. Yeah. And, um... It made me want to learn what the hell they're saying to each other. And it's like, okay, what I see what's going on in this panel, but what are these word thingies all about? Right. And and it made me start reading once I, you know, obviously learned to read. You know, made me start reading everything cover to cover. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's when I'd, I'd read the letters. I'd read the Stan's comments and stuff like that. And I used to love that stuff, the last page in a comic book, you know. It's like you can get through like a comic book in those days, you know, pretty quickly sometimes. But then you'd get to that last page and you could stay on it for a while. You know, just sitting there staring at that or a bunch of stuff you can win by selling grit or something. Yeah. <laughs> I love me some old 1970s ads. Well, that's what I love about like any comic, like Golden Age and Silver Age, is I love going through ads. Even like old newspapers. I love to look at the advertisement section, right. you know. Who bought the x ray specs and then realized you couldn't actually see it to a woman's dress and went, oh. <laughs> no, I can say I never bought the x ray specs. I never bought them either. Well, I mean, if that product came out. Like today, it'd be like, hashtag x-ray specs, you know. Right. Don't buy them. <laughs> See, back then, that information couldn't travel as fast as it does right, now. Right, exactly. Back then, you had a bunch of suckers in different pockets of different little sections of suburbia all over the Americas. Like, these these don't work. Right. But then yeah. again, you can't ask, why, did, why should I have expected them to? Right. I mean, you know. <laughs> so, back to Stan. One of the great things about Stan Lee was... Even though he went into it kicking and screaming with Fantastic Four number one, once it took off and he realized, hey, they actually do want serious stories. They will deal with characters that have issues. Yeah. He became one of the most outspoken um, proponents for comic book art and, yeah. and saying, you know, you got to treat these fans like adults. Just because they're reading a comic book doesn't mean they're stupid. He yeah. goes, and if you play up to their intelligence and you treat them as adults, they'll respect you more. Mm -hmm. um, and he was the first one to actually do that. You well, I mean, it, during the 40s, yes. Um, when it comes to DC Comics, uh, DC Comics were very preachy back in those days. Yes. You'd get uh, those, a lot of those Golden Age, like Superman and Batman comic books, you'd get like a, a Batman or Superman run into a group of kids or something like that. And the group of kids are, I don't know, whatever, you know, playing marbles outside a church or something. I don't know what they're you know, doing wrong. But um, th then you get a bunch of panels, like three or four panels of Batman saying, it's like, why, this is why you need to go to school, and this is why you need to get an education, this is why you need to believe in God, and stuff. <laughs> and so, I mean, and they were really preachy at times. And um, I think that, that when Stan started creating these comic book characters, what people loved about the Fantastic Four is it was nothing like what DC had been doing up until that point. Right. Granted, their Silver Age had been uh, uh, going on for a little while, at this point with Flash and so forth. But, I mean, it was still kind of growing. It took a while for DC to really, like, embrace that and get into the, like, okay, Justice League is working. And so, but I think that even even apart from what DC was doing in the Silver Age, you know, Stanley, what Stan Lee was doing was just nobody had seen it before. Right. Well, and here's the funny thing. 
and a lot of people I don't ever think really make this connection. I put Stan Lee on the same level as Gene Roddenberry because Gene Roddenberry's whole thing was, you know, I don't care if you're male or female. I don't care if you're white, black, yellow. I don't care if you're straight or if you're gay. You're a person. You have value. And someday, if we can get past our own selves, we'll see that we can actually be a really great race of people. Well, and Stan Lee did that with comics. Mm-hmm. He did that with comics. His, <coughs> his idealism shone through in his work. You know? And that's, what, that's why people loved him. You know? Right. He, his... You know, yeah, he's, he push, was, he's pushing these barriers of men, women, you know, women in comic books, colored people in comic books. Excuse me. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's how they wow. said it back then. I was reading a news article from 40 years ago. I'm sorry. Send all people your of color. To... Yeah. Ma- yeah. Yeah. Madman at FXBGPR.com. Yeah, people. Send I'm directly sorry. to Madman. <laughs> I don't know him. <laughs> I'm going to shut up now. So anyway, going back to that, knowing that that was what was readers was wanting. And he says, you know what? Let's start treating these kids like they're adults. They're buying our comics, but they're not stupid. They know what the deal is. So a couple of Stan Lee stories that I have, this one is really fantastic. I got this off of uh, one of our Facebook groups. I can't verify the source of it because I can't find the gentleman who put this, but I do have an actual copy of the letter. So what he says is, I was 12. I was naive. I mailed three quarters to Marvel Comics with a request for three annuals. The local drugstore didn't carry 25-cent annuals, only 12-cent regular comic books. Marvel returned my quarters and said I should send a checker money order after July. I was crushed and wrote Stan Lee that I was afraid Marvel would run out of annuals if I waited to order after July. And Stan Lee came through. The 1964 Marvel annuals Fantastic Four, Spider-Man, and Marvel Tales were mine. And then there's a letter included here that he got from Stan, and it's dated July 7th, 1964. And he says, Dear Mark, someone around here is going to be fed to the manor race for what you, our true fan, have been forced to endure. He goes, My grandfather used to sell, tell me stories of how subscription departments would tangle themselves up, but I never really believed them until now. If a fan is interested enough in our stories to send in his money, he's entitled to get them. Not in a month, not after July 10th, pronto. He goes, any reader who has taken as much, ooh, bureaucratic, sorry, anyone who has, any reader has taken as much bureaucratic tomfoolery as you have and remains calm and polite about it deserves some kind of reward. So we're sending you, free of charge, the three annuals you officially requested, you originally requested. We hope you enjoy them, and we pledge this idiocy will not continue. And it's actually signed by Stan, and it's got his signature on it. And that's the kind of guy he was. Because if he heard anything about a fan being disappointed, he was like, oh, no, we can't have this. Got to make this right. Right. And that was something that was unheard of back then, too, in the comic industry. In fairness, you sent coins in the mail. Right, right. But (laughs) here's the thing. You know, if it's coins in the mail, that it's some kid, you know, yeah. it's a 12-year-old, 13-year-old who's sending you his allowance, probably. Yeah. And you're sending him back and say, sorry, kid, get mommy and daddy to write a check and yeah. contact for three months. And, and that's like, what Stan was standing and up And Stan's about. like, you don't do that to a 13-year-old kid who is spending his hard-earned allowance on our books. He yeah. goes, no, 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 give me the books, give me his address, I'm mailing them. Yeah. Right. And if I could, I'd take it to him. One, one of the things I take away from that, too, is an annual was 25 cents back then. Yeah. Nowadays, yeah. an annual would probably be like $8. Yeah. So. Right. I know. Do they even do the annual, annuals anymore? They do. Th- they do, but it's uh, it's such a muddled mess. Uh, then I have another great story that I found uh, by a gentleman that I'm just going to list as Justin, because I don't want to give first and last names. <laughs> and this is a great one. He goes, Stan Lee ripped my comic. And he says, sometime in 1979, if memory serves me correctly, it may have been 78, my childhood friend and fellow comic collector and I were taken to a New York City Comic Con by his dad. I think I went to the show with maybe $40, deciding that I was going to pay a good portion of it toward getting one really nice book. I wound up choosing issue 11 of the Fantastic Four, featuring the origin and first appearance of the Impossible Man. Mm. I think I paid around $30 for the book. The Street Guide from 1979 places the value in fine at 33 so I guess $30 sounds about right for the condition of this issue, which I put around a fine. The 2018 Overstreet Price Guide has it at 435 in fine and 4200 in near mint. 
the the Excelsior himself, Stan Lee, was at this con and signing comics. I got in line with my new purchase, figured, ah, perfect, I can get my number 11 signed by Stan Lee himself. The line wasn't too long, and it was set up in the hallway of the convention. I can't remember what hotel it was being held at, but it was a relatively small space in the crowded hallway. When I got to him, Stan, sitting behind a small table, asked me my name and made some now-forgotten comment about the old FF issue and proceeded <laughs> to sign it. Unfortunately, Stan pressed fairly hard on the cover, and as he signed it, his ballpoint <laughs> pen sliced right through the then 16-year-old comic. <laughs> as I walked away, I noticed this and showed, showed it to Joe's dad, who got pretty upset and used a couple of expletives, expletives, whatever. Expletives. Expletives, thank you, about Stan ripping a kid's comic and how he should have paid for it, so he took what? it back to show Stan. Gets better. He apologized and then wrote the now infamous line, I'm sorry I wrote it. I'm sorry I ripped it. Stan. <laughs> <laughs> and he's actually got a picture of the book where it's signed by Stan below. It says, sorry I ripped it. I would love it. That, it's got to go up in price because <laughs> of that, right? So, and it says here, on the one hand, I was pretty pissed that Stan had ripped what had been a pretty proud investment for an 11-year-old. And on the other, I had a special one-of-a-kind note on my book from Stan. Exactly. <laughs> there you go. I, if I had that, I'd be treasuring that to this day. Yeah. Goes, I used to wonder if I'd prefer to just have a nice, clean copy of the book without any signature at all, as too many collectors writing on the cover of comic other than maybe a store date is frowned upon. But I'm much happier with the later... With the tear, and the note is a certainly is a unique item. And hey, it's Stan the Man Lee. Exactly. Later on, I did a trade with Joe for his Fantastic Four Witch Teen, which he bought that day and also had signed. Looking closely at that signature, you can notice that Stan torn to that cover a bit as well. Uh, <laughs> wow. So maybe Stan should have been using Magic Marker right. at a much earlier well, time. Remember, the, the, you yeah. know, the comic is 16, 17 year old at that point, and it's probably get, which notice they don't sign with ballpoint pens now. They yeah, use sharpies. the Sharpies, Magic yeah. Marcus, because right. they're less prone to rip your comic. Yeah, no doubt. But I read that and I thought, oh my God, that's hysterical. That that's hysterical. fantastic. Yeah, I would, I would not mind having a, a comic that right. was ripped you could, by Stan Lee while he was signing I, it. Uh, yeah, I was sitting there thinking during that story. He's like, no, no, he ripped it, he ripped it. And then all of a sudden I started thinking about it. And it's like, no. But Stan Lee ripped it. Well, here's a great thing. He takes it back and he writes on it, sorry I ripped the cover. Dude, that's collector gold yeah. right there. Yeah, that's, that's a one, great. That's a one in a kind. One of a kind. And then I have my own Stan Lee story. Um, so this is, you're going to love this, Madman. I'm ready. So he was at Dragon Con. I'm not familiar with the year. I, I forget. I meant to go look at the program book and forgot to. want to say maybe 2013 or 14. And he was there and he's doing pictures. So I'm sitting there and I'm waiting in line with a friend of mine. We're going to get our photo up with Stan Lee. And everything's cool. I'm, I'm excited. I'm standing there. We're talking, chit-chatting. As I get closer and closer to the door where I can actually see, like, just his hand from the door frame and, and hear his voice, I realized something odd was happening. I was getting shaky. Oh, really? I was getting shaky and my, and my hands were sweating. sweating. I kept washing yeah. my hands. And I'm like, what's wrong with me? And I, was, and I even told my friend. I've met other celebrities before and done photo ops. Why am I, you know, why am I so shaky and sweaty? And he goes, because of Stan Lee. <laughs> <laughs> well, I told one, I believe it was last week. Well, yeah, too. well, hang on. So I go in a room and, and here's Stan Lee and he's sitting in a chair and this was before his health started to wane. So he's yeah. still walking Vibrant, around, his, yeah. rocking around on his own. He doesn't need people to help him up. And he, and as you're coming in the room, he's turning and he's looking at everybody. So I walked up to him and I put my hand out and I said, there's nothing I can say but thank you. And he grabbed my hand and he shook it and goes, no, thank you. You're a professional. And my picture is him actually sitting there holding my hand as he's shaking my hand and, and me just sitting there all smiling. <laughs> all I, I'll have to bring it in next week and show it to you. I was Absolutely. Little, I was a little pressed for time this week. Aww, yeah, we, we need I'm to get a little... picture of that up on the, uh, on the, on the Facebook right. page. Right. Take a picture of it. But – and then, unfortunately, I saw him, I think, maybe just last year at AwesomeCon, and I had him sign my Fantastic Four 68 because I wanted to have it signed and graded. And then I felt like dirt when I got up there because like a it was obvious that his health was failing oh, okay. because he was sitting there. He looked really tired. Um, one of the guys in front of us said, hey, how you doing, Stan? And he literally said, man, I don't know anymore. And he signed it and just pushed it back, pushed the book back to him. And, oh, you're like, wow. and immediately I'm thinking, you know, I just paid $120 for this. I've stood in line the better part of six hours, you know, first to get into the con, then another two or three to sit here and have him sign this. And I was really tempted to just walk away and not have him sign it because I didn't want to be one of those corporate shills who was treating him like a money machine, which is yeah. what started happening in the last couple of years. But at the same time, I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to sell this book. This is my book, and I'm going to have him sign it. Right? So. 
Yeah. Plus, I, I was afraid that if I got up there and then walked away, I might insult them. Right. Yeah, you don't want to do that after, especially after you waited right. so long in line. Well, I mean, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it was like I was saying, you know, last week when we were talking about it, I had the opportunity to get his autograph, and they told him that told us that we weren't allowed to talk to him because if you tried to start a conversation, you know, talk to him, he'd, you know, just go on forever talking about a conversation. And I realized as I was got to him, I probably wasn't going to be able to talk to him because I was so starstruck. (laughs) You know, I had this lump in my throat. I'd never felt like that before when meeting somebody. But like your friend told you, this is Stan Lee. Right. This is one of, you know, the biggest names in comics ever. The biggest name. Right. And, you know, it was just, wow. And, And that's where I actually count myself fortunate when I met him for my photo op is I know in the last few years when he was doing these appearances, there was pretty much um, no touching, no talking. It was like, get your book signed, you move. You get your photo, and you move. When I got to see him at Dragon Con, he was still lively enough that he wanted to talk to his friends. He wanted to shake hands. So it was something when you came in the room, and he was already turning around looking for you, and he's immediately just shaking his hand. and yeah, All right, right, who's next? Right, exactly, and and he still had that vivacity about him in his character. He's just, you know, he still had that twinkle in his eye and that stand smile, and he's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Every time I've seen him, I mean, I mean, just in videos or interviews or stuff like that, he's just got the guy. He's a twinkle in his eye, smile on his face. I have just, a. F- I have a friend, Ruby. Ruby, if you're listening, um, I'm going to tell your story. One of Ruby's costumes he did one year was Hulk, and he did a really great Hulk. He was actually studying on stealth, so Hulk was a nice, good 10 or 11 feet tall, um, and and in the mask, and just a fantastic costume. Stan saw him in his Hulk costume, and basically came walking up to him at the photo shoot and says, Hulk, and went over and wanted a Hulk hug. So he's got pictures of him hugging Stan Lee in his Hulk cosplay. Hulk hugging. Oh, wow. Which, Ruby, I, if you're listening, if you listen later, I might go ahead and put that on uh, our Facebook, too, as well. Uh, so I'm just reminded of the actual best scene of Stanley's cameos in The Simpsons was that Hulk one where he goes, there's only one Hulk, and it's me. And he came, runs out of the comic book store and tears his shirt. He goes, it happened once. I swear it. And the comic book guy <laughs> comes out and he goes, sure, Stan, sure, Stan. <laughs> Comforts him as it leads him back to the comic book store. I love that because uh, because of the ingeniousness of the character, the Hulk. The Hulk is a metaphor for anger. I can go on for hours about oh, this, yes. about how uh, effective it is. So see, um, when I was in the Navy, I got into a little bit of trouble, and so I had to go to anger <laughs> you management. You don't say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got to name the madman for the reason. But uh, I had to take an- anger management classes, and a lot of things um, we were talking about, I was like... This Sounds like the Hulk. We're talking about the Hulk, right? <laughs> and I bring it up in like discussions and stuff, and and I was like, yeah, yeah. And it's a like perfect metaphor for anger and how to deal with it, right. and, uh, regret, and, and uh, I thank you, Stan. Well, I know Hulk that, helped me. I know that he. Um, I love that he said that Hulk was inspired, obviously, by Jekyll and Hyde, mm-hmm. um, obviously, and, and across with the Frankenstein monster. But the one I love is when he talks about the X Men. Yeah, and he pretty pretty much just straight out of bits. I was tired of creating Norris stories, so I just made a mutants. <laughs> You're tired of wait. You're tired of making what origin, origin stories. stories. <laughs> so they're just born with it, right? But here's the thing: I actually read an article, and this is an approximate number because I don't think they're ever going to actually have the true number without going through and reading the entire Marvel library. He created approximately 1,225 characters from Marvel. Jeez, think Louise. about that for a moment. Fin Fang Foom. That's not exactly. That's why you have to end up with names like that's, that. That's yeah. not just the <laughs> superheroes. That's all the books he wrote in the fifties when he was writing their horror titles or all their right. western titles and Patsy, Patsy Walker, Walker and Millie the Model, <laughs> and and not to mention all the villains that they had to fight in all those books as well, even even some that you've forgotten about. So that's a that's a lot of characters to be. Because mm, I can oh, see, no I can see where he said, you know what. They're mutants. They're born with it. There, done. <laughs> right. Problem solved. Yeah, make it makes sense. So, all right, guys. <coughs> Sorry. I I came back from vacation with something, listeners. So if you hear me coughing to the side, that that's why. You want to talk about this POS? This POA. POS. POS. Bill Maher. Oh, 
You can. I was actually not going to um, Sully. acknowledge him. Okay. That's Sully Stan's memory. That's probably better. Uh, we love Stan Lee. Uh, we don't like Bill Maher. Let's yeah, right. exactly. leave it at that. So we'll enough at said. That. Yeah, enough said In on that. Stan's famous line, enough said. Yeah, enough said. Did you hear about um, what Jeffrey Dean Morgan said to, to someone that was uh, talking about? Yes. Oh, God. Who was I, that? Um, it, Ar- Army Hammer. Yes. I'm, I'm not a big fan of The Walking Dead, but I think I definitely am a Jeffrey Dean Morgan fan. Oh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan is an awesome guy. Yeah, I, I definitely, if I wasn't before, I, uh, I certainly am now. Let me, let me find, find this quote right here. Hold on just a moment here. So Jeffrey Dean Morgan is not only great in Walking Dead. If you've ever watched Supernatural, he is Stan and Dean's dad in Supernatural. He's part of the, the catalyst that sets them on their way to going fighting their demons. He's also um, in a movie, I think, called The Box or, or something like that line where his daughter gets like this chest at a, at a yard sale, which ends up being, of course, a, a cursed item. Mm-hmm. I think I've seen that. Yeah, he's actually really good in that. So Jeffrey Dean Morgan is actually a really good actor. He's also, oh God, I almost forgot this. I should be smacked across the face. He's a comedian in The Watchmen. Okay, okay. So, but yeah, he, um, Army Hammer was was making a was making a point of talking about criticizing fans for posting selfies with with. Oh uh, right, right. Yes, we talked about the other right. shock monkeys. And, um, yeah. and Morgan comes back with us. Looks like you found a way to use others' ways of mourning and their memories to draw some attention to yourself. You sound like a real asshat. Yeah. Oh, way to flip it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I was like, wow. So I'm a fan. Way to flip it. He's, yeah. He's I'm one a that fan. I he's one that I really hope comes to a con soon because he's an awesome guy. Uh what else was he in? Oh, in uh it's either Batman versus Superman or it might be in Yeah, I think it is Batman versus Superman. He also plays yeah, Thomas, Wayne. Thomas Wayne. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Thomas Wayne. Thomas Wayne. He was so, in yeah. Shameless too. Yeah. Yeah. I think for a while someone was actually campaigning to get him to be Batman. I'm like, I'd be all over that. Yeah, yeah, I heard about that. I think he would make a good one. Yes, and it seems like it would be right up his alley. He seems like you know he's really yeah, into he the, could the, do the it, comic but book I think world Affleck and everything. Kinda, like that. He's kind of nailed the Bruce Wayne role. I think. I mean, you mean Thomas Wayne? Or no, I'm said, talking about ben, ben Affleck. Affleck. Oh, uh, Ben Affleck has nailed the Bruce Wayne role. Yeah. I, I I say I like Ben Affleck as Batman. Unfortunately, I don't think he's going to come back. After the, because I think he's going to be out for the the next movie. I think they're just calling it the Batman, right? Yeah, I I don't know what's going on with it now. To be honest with you, so it's time for another. That's uh, for another podcast. We're, we're right. going back to Stan Lee. Let's not digress too much. So we're getting close to the time. I'm going to go to Thomas and then Madman for closing thoughts. Yes, Thomas. I mean Madman. I saw you mouthing something. No, no, I was chewing my mustache. Oh, okay. Ah, so, all right. That so, distracts people. Well then, uh, Thomas. Your closing sentiments or feelings about Stan Lee? All I can really say about Stan is, you know, to thank him for everything that he did for all of us in the comic world. You know, all of us here, we read comics and we love comics because of his creations. You know, I read a lot of of Spider-Man and a lot of X-Men growing up. And I, you know, as I said earlier, it's one of the, he's one of the biggest reasons why I enjoy reading. And, you know, I can never, never thank him enough for that. I mean, he was the man. He really was the man. And, you know, just... You know, thank you, Stan. Thank you. Well said. Madman? Uh, ditto to that. And the only thing I could add is that I wish I was there in like 1961 in Manhattan. And I met you, met Stan Lee. Like, come, I'm coming out of the building. He's going in and I see he's got a joint or something like that. And I was like, hey, it's the 60s, you know. Right. That stuff happened all the time, I guess. I hear. <laughs> you know, and so... uh I would just love to have like run into him. It's like, and he's like, "Are you in a hurry?" You know, yeah. and just hold it up. It's like, and I'm like, "Not really." And we go up to his apartment and we smoke this joint. He says, "Like, so I had this idea for for my job." I was like, "You know how there's like, you know, Superman and other superheroes. What if there's this guy who could climb walls?" You know, and if I was there in the early '60s and I'm smoking a joint with Stan Lee, I'm sure this must have happened to somebody out there. You know, and he's sitting there d- describing this idea before it's ever in print, you know. Right. And to have been there, to see that creative process envelop. As a creator myself, you know, I would love to have been there. Not only to, A, be with Stan, B, so, smoke a joint, and uh, three, talk about comic books. Right. And I'll tell you what, looking at pictures from Stan from the 60s and 70s, he looked like he might have had a little bit of a party animal in him. Yeah, oh, that's I think why so. <coughs> 
That's why he had all, always had the tinted glasses. Right. And all those cameos in the 70s and 80s. And, I just, oh, and also, listeners, just so um, you know, if you have your own thoughts and stories about having meeting Stan Lee, please send them to us at lostinalongbox at gmail.com. You can also post them on our Facebook for Lost in the Long Box. Tommy will answer your Twitter on our feed at Lost in the Long B1. Long, yeah. So, hey, wow, I actually remembered it. You did. So, I actually just want to go ahead. I actually typed up a little statement here because, you know, having been collecting comics for years and knowing that. I see there's about six lines there, but I'm sure you're weeping during all of it. I, I probably was. This is, this is the <laughs> non-tear-stayed one. Okay. Uh, so, I was just going to, my thoughts are is, uh, thank you, Stanley Martin Lieber, for giving us a world, a universe, where we could go to escape the harshness and cruelty of the real world. And being at the forefront of the comics industry for many years, especially for those of us who grew up in an era where our geekiness was a source of ridicule. Um, may your creations and wonders live on forever, not only in comics and other popular media, but in the hearts and minds of anyone who dares to dream of a life fantastic. Excelsior. Excelsior. <laughs>